Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of things today. The, the first thing that I want to do, though, is just to, to tell you a story that happened to me after I actually gave the talk last week. Um, and just it was very personally meaningful to me, and um, I just want to share it with you. So just to tell you just how close God is, you know, just to, to everything that we're doing, uh, to everything that we're saying, experiencing. Um, so I went to the bagel store, right? It's Sunday and I'm Jewish after all. So <laughs> how can I not? Um, and I'm, I'm standing online and there's someone who's standing in front of me. He has his back to me and, you know, I'm, I, I always think that for me, just a, a small thing, but a lot of times I can recognize someone from behind. You know, without even seeing any part of their face, I say, oh, okay, I know who that is. But anyway, so I'm standing behind this guy, and, and it occurred to me, I don't know who this is. I, I don't recognize this person, you know. But anyway, so we're standing in line together for a few minutes, and um, then at one point he turns around, and I realize, oh, I know this guy. And, and, and you know, we rarely see each other, and we rarely have a chance to talk, and I, I don't even remember the last time I saw him or talked with him, but we're on good terms, and, and we certainly like each other, but... So, so there it was. So, you know, we're saying hello to each other and all the rest. And, um, and then uh, I remember I, I ordered and then uh, I sat down just kind of waiting for my order. And he's standing in front of me, a few feet in front of me, and we're, you know, continuing to talk. And I asked him, I asked him, and I don't know why I asked him this. That's kind of like, sort of like one of the bizarre parts of this story, for me anyway, is that I don't know why I asked him what the date was. But I was trying to figure out something what and that was important to me at that moment. So I said to him, I said, do you know what date it is? Meaning, do you know what day in March it is? Because um, that's what I was trying to figure out. And he answers like, like on the spot, he says, it's the 21st of Adar. Mm-hmm. Right? And to look at this guy, and he's a very special guy, but cat, you know, wearing a t-shirt and jeans and like a, like a work hat, kind of like, you know, kind of a construction worker type look he's got on at the moment. And it's like, you wouldn't imagine at that moment that this guy is walking around with the Hebrew calendar inside of his head and that that would be his go-to instant response and would have it right away, you know? So again, I want to know what day in March it is. And he's telling me the 21st day of Adar. And so I'm like, okay. And then I'm thinking, I'm sitting, and, and, and it occurs to me, wait a second, that sounds familiar, right? So the 21st day of Adar. And they said, I said to him, I said, I think today is the yurt site. The yurt site is the day that uh, a person ascends to heaven. That's the last day of their life, the anniversary of their death, right? And by the way, we in, 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 in Judaism, we, we make much more of a big deal about someone's yurt site than their birthday. Like, because, because by your birthday, that's when you're all potential. By your yurt site, that's when you're all accomplishment. Right? So the, the point is not what could you have done. The point is what did you do? Right? And, and a relating, related teaching that I always like to share because I love it so much is that at the end of our lives, at the end of 120, we're going to get the answers to all of our questions, but there's not going to be anything we're going to be able to do about it. Here, we don't have the answers to all of our questions, but there's still something we can do about it. Right? So again, the importance of a, a yard site. The anniversary of a person's death as a day of celebration. And that might sound like a little bit strange or, or morbid, like why are we um, celebrating? Didn't the person die that day, right? But no, 
that's the day that that person fully became that person. Right? That, that's, the, that's, that's when they fully accomplished what it is that they did in life. I'll tell you, for me, um, you know, one of the sort of like kind of, kind of slightly eccentric charms of, of getting into the whole sort of like Torah uh, kind of world is, is um, you know, when you go on vacation, right? Like, let's say you take a trip to Israel, right? If you're, if you're not into the whole Torah place, like a, a trip to Israel might be, um, oh, we're going to go to the beach, and then we're going to go to the, the restaurants in Tel Aviv and stuff like that. And, okay, whatever it is, they, I'm sure they all have their own charms. But if you're, like, in this, like, Torah place, you go on vacation in Israel, and it's sort of like, okay, we're going to go to the grave site of, <laughs> of the Rambam, then, you know, it's, then we're going to go to the grave site of, like, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and then, oh, this is going to be so great, we're going to go to the grave site of the Ari, and he's buried next to the guy who wrote Lechadodi. You know, this is going to be so good. And in fact, just to tell you something that absolutely blew my mind, again, from just a, a cultural level, but this is who we are as a people, they have, by, by, by these cemeteries, by these, especially ones that feature great tzaddikim, great holy people, they have legitimate, legitimate vending machines. They're vending machines. That's the only way you can, what, what you can call them. Outside, which sell yurtzeit candles, candles that you can light by the grave. Like, there's no Snickers bars. <laughs> it's, like, you know what I mean? it's like, even those more sort of like, like fancy ones in airports where you can actually buy like aspirin in a vending machine. You know, this is just all candles. And you put money in, you turn the dial, and a candle comes out, which you use to light by the grave. So it's, um, so, so, but the idea is, what's the idea? Is that basically, there are five parts to the soul. And, um, you know, the, 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 the lowest part of the soul um, is, is called the nephish. And the nephish is that aspect which fuels the, um, the body. In other words, that's sort of like the, that's sort of the on switch to um, circulate blood um, to make the brain waves, you know, go, like th- things like this. Just that the, um, it's, it, it's, it, it just, now that, a little aspect of the nephish stays even in the, in the grave with the body. So, so that gravesite becomes, so to speak, the headquarters of that soul. Even after, even after death, because a tiny bit of the, the soul is still there. And so it becomes a portal or a gateway for prayers. And of course, you don't pray to the dead person because that's not our religion. But what you do is the proper order of prayers. You say, please, Hashem, you're just praying to God. But you say, in the merit of all that this tzaddik or all this person, whatever it is, accomplished, you know, and then it sort of gives extra wings to your prayers because you're sort of attaching them to this very great soul. So that's, that's sort of the dynamics. So, so anyway, um, I'm in this bagel shop and I say, the 21st of Adar, this is the, this is the yurt site, the anniversary of the death of uh, Reb uh, Noam Elimelech. You know, that's uh, Reb Elimelech of Lezhensk. So the Noam Elimelech was one of the greatest Hasidic Rebbe's. And just to give you an idea, the Chos of Lublin, the seer of Lublin, was one of his students. 
So the Chose himself is like one of the greatest, greatest, greatest. So this was one of the students of Reb Elimelech of Luzhetsk. Okay? So, um, so anyway, he says, yeah, yeah, you're right, the 21st of Adar, yeah, it is, yeah. And, and he didn't know it at the time, but he heard it and he goes, yeah, you're right, it is the Yurtzai. And so, okay. So then I think for a moment, and then, then this blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness. Said, because I remembered that years before, like years and years before, you know, like um, a good decade before, his son was in class with my son. And as a present for all the kids in his class, this person who was, I was talking to bought copies of the Noam Elimelech for all the kids in the class and gave them out. And not only that, but, but there's a custom, a holy custom, that when a woman gives birth, because he's so revered in Torah, the Noam Elimelech, to take the copy of his book and put it under the pillow of the woman while she's giving birth. And we actually used, my wife and I used the copy that they gave us for at least a couple of our children. Right? So, so... And then, and then I was like, wow, so, then he says to me, do you remember, and I didn't remember, he said, do you remember years, years ago, we decided, you and me together, that we were going to take a trip to his gravesite and bring our children. And I had actually forgotten, you know, so... How close are the tzaddikim? Right? And then I was thinking to myself, why did this story happen? Maybe it was to remind ourselves that we owe a visit to the gravesite. Maybe. Could be. Maybe it's for more than one reason. But I was thinking, you know, he has this connection to the tzaddik, to the Rebbe Elimelech. So... Hashem didn't want the day to pass without him being reminded, but then he could have had anyone remind him. Why me? And then I remembered a few days before, I had just one of my best kind of Torah conversations with my two daughters in, in, that I can remember, maybe ever. I was putting the two of them to bed, and it was Shabbos night, and uh, they wanted to hear a story. And it was just like one of these kind of fairy tale moments. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to hear the story, a story from Rebeli Melch. <laughs> Not so much from him, but they wanted to hear a particular story, which was from him. And we told the story, and then it didn't just end with the story. We then had like a whole discussion about what this story means. And I'm just going to... I just want to just take an, an extra moment to just to just focus in on the on, on the fact that that these are decisions that we can make, and um, I I I don't know why it's 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 I don't I don't know why this seems counterintuitive or why I feel as though um, that this is important relevant information because after I say it it's going to sound obvious so obvious. Um, but, but, but let me just say it anyway. You see, we're, we're so reactive in so many ways. And, um, and, 
we actually get to decide how we think about the world. <laughs> like, a lot of people don't really think about that. They're either sort of born into a religion that they accept or they reject, or they have certain personality traits, and based on their personality traits, they let that dictate how they look at things, you know? But that's just being purely reactive, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Or they have flickerings of thoughts, what they think, but they don't allow that to be the dominant organizing faculty through which to see everything through. And, and why should a person, a person is being given such a powerful opportunity, why should a person not allow themselves to actually consciously see the world in the way that they choose to see the world? You see, in other words, if you believe that you have a soul, you know, just as an aside, one of the things that I've noticed that is that if you want to talk about the existence of God with people, sometimes that's a very weighty, complicated conversation to have, right? And it should never be an argument, by the way, because even if you win the argument, you lose the argument, right? So, so, but what people are much more open to is to discuss whether or not they have a soul or not. And then if you ask them, do you have a soul? Then they go, yeah, I have a soul. Do you believe that the soul lives on after you? Yeah, I believe that the soul lives on after you. And then, okay, then you can discuss that, and you are, you are discussing the existence of God at that point. At that point, they've told you that they believe in God. But you've been able to access the conversation in, in a way that isn't um, fraught with, you know, landmines, basically. You know? So, because what is a soul except for a piece of God? So, so, so then you describe the journey of the soul and you discuss it with them because if a person hasn't learned anything, they don't know about it. And if you say things to them about the soul that makes sense, they'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right? Like for instance, we believe that the soul maintains its identity after it leaves the body, which is a huge thought. That's a huge thought because a lot of people think, okay, I have a soul, but after it leaves my body, it kind of disappears. No, you remain you forever. Uh, as a very big thought there, which means that the bottom line is we all actually are immortal. Okay, not in this body, but that's kind of beside the point. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to my post-body, you know, phase, you know what I mean? It's like, I think that's going to be awesome, you know? So, I mean, I like my body, believe me, but I, you know, that's, that's going to get more interesting, you know? So, so why should I not look forward to that? You know, we should all live long, you know, including me. But uh, n- nonetheless, it's sort of like, if you accept that, then that absolutely, why shouldn't you allow that to influence how you're living this life? Right? But that's a conscious thing that you have to do, not just, oh, I heard something interesting. Did you believe it? I believed it. Are you ever going to think about it again? Probably not. Why? Why? You've just been handed like a ticket, like here's your free, you know, all expense paid year in Fiji. And you like take it and you go, oh, um, and you stick it in a drawer. Do you want to go to Fiji? Oh, I go, oh, are you crazy? I'd love to go to Fiji. All expense paid, everything like that, a year, you can do anything, bring the family, we do whatever. Are you crazy? That would be the most wonderful thing in the world. And then you never think about it again. You never like... 
Does that make any sense whatsoever? So the idea is if you actually believe these things, allow them to shape how you go through life. Because, because if it's true, it is the, has the utmost relevance. You know, there's, um, there are stories like this. And actually, we did one on The Simpsons. Um, and it was based on a, a, a real-life story of uh, a friend of mine, uh, Greg Daniels. He was, um, I think it was at Andover or Exeter, one of these places. And um, someone said that he didn't uh, believe in a soul. So Greg wrote a contract and said, why don't you sell me your soul for a nickel? And the guy signed the contract. And then he started to freak out, you know. And you've got stories like this. I've actually seen this story in in books. Not this one, like people have had this idea before. And then people start to think, well, wait a second. Did I actually just sell my soul for a nickel? Like, Like, am I really so sure I don't have a soul? Like... You know, and then it's sort of like, it, it kind of starts to bug you out, you know? If, if, you, if you start to talk to someone and you say, well, do you believe in an afterlife? Oh, no, you know, there are a lot of people who are so, like, just like jam-packed with arrogance. And they'll say, when you're dead, you're dead, and then you lie, and then that's it. Sell me your soul, buddy. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a dime for it. Did you buy I think in the end he does, in that story. I don't remember how it ended. You can check out the Simpsons episode. See how that, <laughs> it was based on that. But it was like, uh, you know, it's... A person doesn't know. A person doesn't know. And everything that we're learning in terms of physics right now, and quantum physics, everything is energy. It's all energy. Energy is the language of the universe. Are you telling me that your soul isn't energy? It's like, it's a very powerful, compact, you know, orb of energy. There's no question about that. All right. Well, listen, I want to just change the subject and talk about demons. (laughs) I was actually going to talk about demons to begin with, but somehow... We talked about something else. Okay, so let's talk about demons. <laughs> um, I just um, had the opportunity to come across a few thoughts, and I just wanted to put them together in a little demon package. <laughs> so we'll, 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 just, we'll just go over these things kind of quickly, just as a, as a review, just because it's an interesting subject, and you can hear some teachings on them all, to, all together. But we're kind of off the previous subject right now. But the the bottom line is this. As Reb Noach would would, would tell his students, know what you know. He would tell his students, know what you know. See, a lot of people, like, you start to tell them something, and they're very dismissive. They go, I know that, I know that. But they don't really know that. They've heard that. (laughs) They don't know that. They've heard it. And they're already bored by it, so they don't want to talk about it again. But they don't know it. They've just heard it. But they go, I know that. So what Reb Noach says is, know what you know. If you actually do know it, then allow it to influence and, and, and shape how you approach things. Especially the more macro concepts. 
Okay. So this movie, uh, Noah, is out. And I haven't seen it. But um, it, it led to a, uh, a, a, a table discussion. And, and I was looking for this Rashi, and I found it. And I just want to read it to you, just because it's not... People don't talk about this Rashi, and it's like right there, and it's like, you know, pretty wild. So, um, and, and this will take us to Moshe in a moment, okay? But let's just talk about Noah for a moment. So Noah, first of all, you have to know Noah was learning Torah. Rashi points out that Noah was learning Torah. Now this is significant because this is many generations before the Torah was given, okay? So we know that the Torah actually existed before the world was created, Okay, so you see, how do we know that Noah is learning Torah? Because he's putting um, a pair of animals of all species. And by the way, Rabbi Wolfson, excuse me, Rabbi Wolfson says that, you know, when, 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 when Noah took a pair of giraffes or a pair of any animals, he was selecting the tzaddikim of those species, right? The most righteous, holy examples of those species. Isn't that interesting? So the ark was actually filled with these animals, but not just these animals, but these holy animals, right? Now, of the animals that we don't eat that aren't kosher, right? And by the way, pre-Noah, we were vegetarians, which is kind of interesting. Post-Noah, we got permission to actually eat meat. Even though pre-Noah, we were um, the kings of all the species, all right? Man still had the status of rulership over the animals, but not to eat them. But rulership, yes. Post-Noach, then we can even eat them. Okay. So, um, so, so, but with the animals that we can eat, he took seven pairs of those animals. Right? Not just one pair, but seven pairs of those animals. So how does he know which are the edible, kosher, quote-unquote, tahor, or clean animals, ritually pure animals? Because... He's learning Torah. That's how, what Rashi says. He, that, otherwise, how would he know which species is, is, is kosher and which is not kosher? So, so this is the proof that Noach was actually learning Torah. Okay, so that's... So now you have to understand Noach is a Torah scholar. He's not just holy and pre-Torah, you know? He's a Torah scholar. Now, Hashem says to him, I'll read you the, um, the, the verse. Well, I'll read you the verse before. So this is um, uh, chapter 6 in Brachis and Genesis, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now listen to this carefully. And from all that lives of all flesh, two of you shall bring into the ark to keep alive with you. They shall be male and female. Okay, so now listen to this again, because there's a, a, a repetitiveness in here. And you know, every single letter in the Torah is deliberate, and there is no repetition in the Torah, which is from where anything that seems to be repetitive, that's where, that's, that's where the gold is. That's where we start to realize that, that a deep teaching is being put forth. Okay, so now listen to this seeming repetitiveness. And from all that lives, comma, of all flesh... So why do you need to, why not just say of all flesh, right? Why do you need from all that lives? Okay. So now let's look at the Rashi. And from all that lives, 
even demons. <laughs> so from here you see, because that's something that's alive that doesn't have flesh. So Noah was bringing demons onto the ark. Now, wild. All right. Now, what's the source of that? That's actually from a medrash. That's not Rashi. That's that's you know most of Rashi is Rashi bringing midrashim and Gomorrahs. Okay. So this is Breshis Rabbah thirty one thirteen, and and I'll just read you what it says here in the art scroll. Um, the verse could have said, and from all flesh, without mentioning all that lives. And we would have understood that God commanded Noah to bring all species of animals into the ark. And from all that lives of all flesh indicates that God commanded Noah to bring to the ark something that lived, which was not flesh as well. This refers to the demons who have life but no body. So now the question is, why bring demons? Right, and by the way, what's 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 interesting too, is this idea that Og, who is one of the giants, one of the pre-flood giants, held on to the outside of the ark. So you've got this, you've got Og hanging on, and that to me, like, is one of the most exciting visuals. You can imagine, like, the storm-raged boat and this giant who's like hanging on for dear life on the outside of the ark, right? And on the inside of the ark are demons. So this is like, you know, people have no idea what Torah is. They're like, they've got, they think that thou shalt you know, do this, that, or the other thing, and shalt not do that or the other thing. You know, it's like they have no idea of the richness of what's going on in, in terms of Torah. And um, anyway, that aside. So why, why bring demons? Why bring demons? So I just um, want to give one one, one idea, one idea anyway. So, so you see something really interesting. Keep in mind, keep in mind that Kabbalistically speaking, we say that Noah was reincarnated as Moshe. All right? Now, now listen to this. When Moshe went up to get the, the Torah from heaven, right? Basically, heaven came down to earth, and it's this fusing of heaven and earth, which is what the revelation of the mitzvot are, which are the building blocks of reality. Okay, See, if you're familiar with the um, painter Mondrian, um, he's, he's a great modernist painter, and he does, like, Broadway Boogie Woogie is like a famous painting of his. It's a lot of horizontals and verticals, right? And he uses primary colors. You're familiar with his work? You know his work? It's one of, the, one of the greatest. And all the modern artists, by the way, were all philosophers. Um, and it's really worth like, checking out their, what, what they had in mind because they were all like super brilliant guys. You know? So I read a little bit of Mondrian, right? what he was going for, and he calls it neoplasticity, which is like, I, I don't really know what that means. But, but here's the basic idea, okay? What he wanted to do was, why is he working with primary colors in horizontals and verticals? Because he wanted to get to the essence of the structure of every visual. And since if you want to um, portray something, ultimately it will all boil down to some interplay between horizontal lines and vertical lines and primary colors, he wanted to strip down each essence to its core. 
right? Like he wanted to see the, the x-ray of something and paint the x-ray of something, if you will. Very, very cool idea. It's a very cool idea, okay? So what is the Torah then? What's happening when the Torah is be, being given? Heaven is coming down to earth and the mitzvot, the commandments, are being revealed. In other words, at that moment, you're getting an x-ray into the structure of the entire universe. And that's what's being given over to us. The building blocks, how to access all the different points of creation in order to bring about ultimate harmony and rectification. That's, that's what's going on, okay? So, so Moshe is going to get the Torah. And the angels don't want to give it to him. And in fact, the angels want to kill him. So, so Hashem puts on Moshe the face of Avraham. And Avraham gave hospitality to the angels. Right? Remember, he runs to the angels. And, and Hashem says to the angels, this is the man who gave you hospitality and this is how you treat him? And then the angels backed off and Moshe was able to get the Torah. So here you see this relationship between the angels responding favorably and leaving Moshe alone, right, in the merit of Abraham who offered hospitality and the great merit of hospitality. Okay, so I would like to use that teaching as a way of explaining why God commanded Noah to bring the demons on board the ark. Because if the demons don't have any bodies, then seemingly they don't need to have to be on the ark. They can survive the flood without being on the ark. But what I want to suggest is that by Hashem making the demons accept the hospitality of Noah, who becomes reincarnated as Moshe, what he did was he created a sense of debt and obligation that they had to us. In other words, he was inflicting, if you will, or imposing, but let's say inflicting parameters upon how destructive they can actually be. Because they owe us now. They owe us because we gave them shelter at this very critical time. So this concept of hakaras hatov, of gratitude, is a very strong one. I want to tell you another instance where you see this. There's a plague going on in Israel. And I, that's, I, I wanted to check it. I, 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 it's either right after um, the, the episode with Pinchas or right after Korach. And so I'm, I'm sorry that I'm... It's one or the other, so I'm, I'm sorry that I don't have it clear at this moment. But anyway, people are dying. And, and, um, and Aaron takes a censer, he takes incense, and he gets right to the border of where people are dying, and like thousands of people are dying. And he stands with the incense right at the border between the living and the dead, and the plague stops. And then you look at what Rashi says on this. How did he know that incense is going to stop the plague? And it says, this is wild, listen. It says that when 
Moshe went up to get the Torah and he got it. All of the angels gave him gifts. And the gift that the angel of death gave him was the secret of how to stop a plague. (laughs) And that's where he learned it from. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. When we talk about the when we talk about these forces. Now remember, I, all of that we say Torah Tamet, the Torah is real, the Torah is true. And it's it's important that you don't get too metaphysical with these concepts. Because whenever we get too metaphysical, we have to reground ourselves and understand that this is our life and this is actually the world that we're living in right now. Okay? So I want to just give you just a, a quick idea to show you the reality of what I'm talking about so that you don't think that this is just purely mysticism, God forbid, because it's not. This is, this is our lives. This is the here and now. So, so it says in Perkei Avos that if a person does a positive action, they create an angel. If they do a negative action, they create a force from the other side. Okay? So that sounds pretty metaphysical. What are you telling me that you're getting grounded with me now? But what I'm telling you is the following. If you, and this is the best example that I can think of, if you hug someone, and you hug them like with a real degree of intensity and, and, and love, you can feel something leaving your body. You feel some energy leaving your body. That's, I think everyone has experienced that. Or the other side, I need a hug. What, why, what does it mean, I need a hug? Because when you get hugged, you feel that energy coming into you. Right? I think everyone's experienced that. So you see that when you do an action, especially when we experience doing a, a strong action, we can leave the, we can feel the energy leaving us. We feel it. Now that energy that leaves us, if we do something positive, like imagine you there's something very hard for you to do, but you come through for someone else and you you do it. You feel something. You feel something leaving your body. That is the moment that the angel is being created. And we say, then, and it's a sliding scale. To the extent that you really did something, that's a larger or a larger or a larger angel. Now I'll tell you a, a phenomenal teaching, one of my favorite teachings. When Abraham Avinu is being given the greatest test that any person has ever been given in the history of the world, that's take your son, your only son from your old age, right? And, and to put him on the altar and he's raising the knife, he's listening to God. All of a sudden it says, the angel says, Abraham, Abraham. And by the way, that double calling of Abraham is phenomenal. Why? Why is he saying Abraham, Abraham? Because at that moment, all of us have our potential above and our reality below. So it's Avraham, Avraham, because at that moment, the below Avraham matched the above Avraham, right? He had fulfilled his heavenly potential at that moment. The below matched the above. It's amazing. So the angel says, Avraham, Avraham, now I can see, this is now, of course, this is God talking, but he's talking through an angel. Now I can see 
that you are a God-fearing man. So what is the angel saying? Now I can see that you're a God-fearing man. So the most simple aspect of this, which is, we're going to go way deeper, the most simple aspect is, is that, okay, you did it. You did what you were told to do, so you're a God-fearing man. No, no, no. It says, the angel looked at himself, saw this tremendous love, saw this tremendous yira that emanated from Abraham Avinu. He looked at himself and he saw how mighty he was. And he said, based on the angel that Abraham had created, the angel's looking at himself, and he says, now I can see that you're a God-fearing man. Wow. Right? Awesome. Awesome. Can you imagine what that angel looks like? Because we talk about how, how the, the merit of the Akeda, the merit of that action, is, it has been with us for thousands of years. It was awesome. Awesome. Right? So... So anyway, and if we do some, and the point is this, so in, in all of our own ways, depending on our action, that's why it's very important, like for instance, when you make a bracha, don't just say, when you make a blessing before you eat some food, don't just go, Bleh. don't do that, because what, what energy have you emitted at that point? Maybe if that angel's got one eye and a limp, you're lucky. You're lucky if it's got that, Right? Take, and it's literally a difference of a second. Before you make a blessing, literally just take one second and just say the words clearly. Just say it clearly, okay? At least, you know, when you get united with all the angels that you made, at, you know, it's not going to be like, I never, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like at least have some nachas about who your children are, right? So because we're going, because... Because the point is, is that after they leave us, they, they, they endure. And they have some integrity to them. And they endure. Both positive and negative. That's, that's, that's the point. Okay. So now, I told you that this is um, in the here and now, and we got to make it real. So, 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 when we talk about these forces, we're not just talking about metaphysically. We're talking about things that we ourselves create with our actions. And of course, Hashem, when he wants to... So that's the below to above aspect, us creating these things. When we talk about the above to below aspect, we know that angels, demons, all these type of things are just... um, There's only one God and there's only one power. They don't have any free will, so that they're not doing anything on their own. But we have this sort of like theological sort of like riddle, which is how does a unity interact with a multiplicity? How does the oneness of God sort of interact with all these separate creations that he's made? And so that's through the vehicle of angels and demons, if you will, meaning to say that those don't have, um, those are not individual forces, meaning to say they're not other than God. It's God's follow through, if you will. I'm bringing blessing right now. Okay, so this is the channel through which I'm bringing blessing. I'm bringing judgment right now. This is the channel which, through which I'm bringing the judgment. And then we have names to describe these forces. And that's how we describe them, okay? So, so you've got them being created by us, created by God, and all the rest. Now listen to this. One of the, it says that in the Gomorrah, that the Satan, that's, that's the heavenly accuser, 
right? Satan, in, in, other, in, in other ways of saying it, but it's a Hebrew word, Satan. Um, and the Malach Amavis, the angel of not so much, as, as you would say, <laughs> the angel of death, and the Sahara, the evil inclination, are all one force. That's all one thing. These are not three separate entities. This is all one thing. One is uh, up in heaven accusing us of various things. One is uh, attacking our body. And one is sort of attacking our decision-making. Okay? These are all forces of opposition, and it's one spectrum, and it's all one thing. Okay? So, so in Torah circles, a lot of times people don't like to actually use the names of these particular entities because they don't want to, they just don't want to say them. Maybe they don't want to call them into presence or whatever it is. So you have different ways of uh, saying them in shorthand so that people know what you're saying and that way they, they're not saying them, okay? Interestingly, one of the ways, one of the languages that people use to address these horses is you'll hear them referred to as the Samech Mem. Samech Mem, mem is, uh, is, is, a, is a shorthand, is an abbreviation of one of the names of these forces. Okay? Now, what's so interesting about referring to this force as the Samech Mem? And before I tell you this, I have to explain something to you further, which is, again, God is one. And anything that's evil, all of evil works for God. You have to understand this. There isn't this battle like we have in Christianity, for instance. It's good versus evil, and they're wrestling against each other. You know, who's going to win? You know, that, that's not it. That's not Judaism. There's only one power, and it's only God. Evil works for God. Okay, so then what's that relationship? Okay, so the Baal Shem Tov gives a, a, a mushal, a parable, which is very simple but endlessly deep. It says that the king has a son, and the son lives in the palace. And the king has no way to understand what is the level of this son, right? Maybe he's good, maybe he's bad, but he's living in the palace before me. So how can I really gauge what his real character is? So what does he do? He sends the son to a foreign land and sets him up to be in this very far away place from the palace, right? And then he sends a harlot to seduce the son. Now the harlot works for the king. The harlot works for the king. And the harlot wants the son to succeed because the harlot knows that the son is very beloved by the king and wants the king to, to love the son. But the harlot has her job. She has to seduce the son. So all the while she's seducing the son, she's saying to herself, please say no, please say no, please say no. Right? So this is... This is how you understand the interrelationship. When, let's use the word temptation for now. When temptation comes to us, or when this energy comes to us, if we say yes to it, it says that it rips its clothes and cries. And if we say no to it, it jumps up and dances. So this is how you understand how evil works for God. That evil is not an independent force. So now with this in mind, why do we refer to it as the Samech Mem? Now listen to this. 
when the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, it was, there were many miracles about these tablets, which were smashed by Moshe. One of the miracles of it was that, it, that each letter was engraved completely through the tablet. Okay? Now, another miracle, by the way, is that it was completely engraved. So that means that if you were looking at it the, the, the correct way, it should read one way. And then if you turned it over, it should read backwards, right? Because each letter was completely poking through from side to side. But one of the miracles was it read correctly on one side, and then you turned it over and it read correctly on the other side. Which was, how do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. It's a miracle. That's how you do it. Because you can't do it otherwise. So, so, but what was another miracle? That there are two letters in the alphabet, Samich, Final Samech and the final Mem, Samech Mem, right, which is the name of this force, which are basically circles. Now, let's think about that for a moment. If you engrave, one is a square that's hollowed out, one is a circle that's hollowed out, but both of them are hollowed out. If you, if you go straight through and you hollow it out, what should happen to that middle dot, which you need? It will fall out, and then you don't have the letter. So the Gomorrah addresses this in the beginning of... The Gomorrah asks this question, right? Because this is the great thing about Torah study, is that you can hear something like that, and then the rabbis ask, why didn't the dot fall out? <laughs> like, you don't just... The conversations in Torah don't stop with, oh, it's a miracle. No, 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 that's the beginning. Then we get into it. It's like, well, what kind of miracle, and why? And what is that supposed to teach us? And shouldn't this have happened? You know, this is the genius of Torah, and Jews, by the way. So... So we say, um, they say, no, that God miraculously suspended it in, in those two things. Aha. Uh-huh. So now, isn't it interesting that these two letters, Samach and Mem, where you have a miraculous thing happening going on, right, are also the name of all the dark forces of the universe. Why? Because God allows them to exist. Miraculously, at this point, at this point, they're not going to be around forever. They're just given permission to exist because they're playing a role in the evolution of creation at this point in time. By permission, they're allowed to exist right now. Okay, why don't we stop there?